For the fourth election cycle in a row, Missouri Democrats took a shellacking at the polls. And one of the people trying to figure out a way forward for his party is State Senator Scott Sifton, an Afton Democrat who will be leaving the upper chamber of the General Assembly due to term limits. Sifton joins us on the latest episode of Politically Speaking to break down what went wrong for Missouri Democrats and how the party can regain its footing. Let's hit the music. This is the Politically Speaking podcast, the definitive show about Missouri politics. It's a little complicated in Bolivar because there is a Parsons family there. But we also knew that it was important to make sure that that we got to where we needed to go. You know if you walk in a room and you're getting ready to make a decision and everybody in the room looks like you, you need to stop. And right now what happens in the United States Senate is as critical as anywhere else in the country. I really want the state to succeed. We want everybody to uh, know that we're all working together. I just worked hard to try to build my name where I didn't have the money. And welcome to Politically Speaking. I'm your host, St. Louis Public Radio political correspondent, Jason Rosenbaum. Joining me via Zoom, the Missouri legislature's preeminent fan of the band Tool, we have as our special guest today, State Senator Scott Sifton. Good morning. Good morning. Glad to get you on the show. You, This is your sixth time on the show. Unfortunately, your former Truman State uh, classmate, Eric Schmidt, has now been on seven times. So it does not look like you are going to catch him. And I'm sure that is immensely disappointing to you. It, you know, it's 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 not a competition. I'm, I'm glad that uh, Eric has had his opportunities. Uh, now, we'll, we'll call this the exit interview. I'm term limited and leaving the Senate here in less than two months and have the opportunity to look back and same time look forward. I think that's one of the reasons we wanted to have you on the show. You are not going to be able to run again for the Senate because you have reached your term limit. If you really had a threshold for pain, you could run for three more terms in the House. But I think that that is very unlikely at this point. That is absolutely unlikely at this point. (laughs) Breaking news there. I'm going to start off very simply. What went wrong for Missouri Democrats last Tuesday? What went wrong is that we were in Missouri in 2020 with Donald Trump at the top of the ticket, period, end of discussion. Um, And I, you know, with all these, you know, every time you win big and every time you lose big, there's a tendency to overreact. And and what I would say to Democrats across the state of Missouri is we have been here before. Uh, You know, in in 1988, our candidate for governor uh, came in south of 35 percent of the vote. Our candidate for U.S. Senate, um, Jay Nixon that year, put up less than 32 and, and, of course, was never heard from again. Right. Um, and, and that was where we were in 1988 and four years later, Democrats swept everything statewide. And I'm, I'm not here to say that we're in exactly the same place now as a state as we were 30 years ago. Um, but the, the, the point is, um, these things run in cycles as, you know, as long as Ronald Reagan was on the ballot, we were toast in Missouri. Uh, Donald Trump has been the same. And, you know, unless he tries to pull a Grover Cleveland here, it would appear that, uh, you know, whatever uh, uh, the case may be in 22 and 24, Donald Trump is not going to have the same presence in those elections as he's had in the last several. And, you know, in that regard, just just going back, just going back uh, to that 92 cycle from 92 forward, from 92 through 2012, in that 20 year span, 
Democrats won two-thirds two -thirds of the statewide races in Missouri. We were 30 and 16. Um, and, and since 2012, we didn't really have a statewide race in 14. But since Donald Trump has been on the ballot, we've been 1 and 15 since. So we've gone from winning two thirds of the statewide races to barely not winning really any other than Nicole Galloway's auditor win uh, two years ago. Um, there have been changes in our state. There's been a realignment in our state, sure. Uh, but I, I do not believe that what we have seen in, in 16 and 18 and 20 is representative of what we're gonna see in the coming decade. I just don't. I, I believe Democrats are in a more competitive position in Missouri than anybody realizes. So let, I'm glad that you mentioned 1988 because Governor Mike Parson won the largest victory for a Republican since John Ashcroft, you know, beat Betty Hearns by an unprecedented margin. I'm going to play a clip now from Governor Parson at a press conference he had right after he won and then use that as a jumping off point for to, to build on what you just said. The only thing I can say is I just going to be who I am. Uh, and that's how I'm going to move forward. And I'm going to treat people fairly in this state. And I want this state to do well. And I think that's what people want you to do as governor. I, I don't know what all the political numbers will be at the end of the day, but uh, I think it was, a, it was a huge victory, to say the least. And you know from being in the media what everybody was trying to make that case that this was a tight race and all that stuff. And, you know, just a lot of political spin on it. But at the end of the day, people speak, and that's what I always answer to. So I'll hold myself accountable. I was definitely one of the people that said that the race between Parson and Galloway was one of the most competitive gubernatorial races in the country. But if you look at my pre-analysis, a lot of that was predicated on Donald Trump underperforming in the state and only winning by five, which some of the polls said he was going to win by five, including Remington, which is not exactly a Democratic polling company. That did not happen. Trump won by 15. Parson crushed Nicole Galloway in the rural parts of the state and frankly crushed her in places like St. Charles and Jefferson County and Buchanan County and Cass County. She, he even won in Clay County, which I believe that that is where you're from or around. Absolutely. Very proud Clay County native. Yes. I understand the point you're trying to make in saying that things do go in cycles. But as long as Democrats are getting 20 percent of the vote in rural areas and not competing in more conservative collar suburbs, they're not going to win statewide races. I, I, how, how am I wrong there? First and foremost, um, the, the polling has been atrocious for the second cycle in a row. There is something systemic, and not to say that it's a lost art, but there is something systemic that is causing pollsters across the board, despite the constant samples. I mean, you look at the states where, you know, Biden was leading and ultimately won, but, you know, Wisconsin and Michigan and Pennsylvania, Every poll that was taken, by and large, showed a very consistent picture of Biden plus four to five, and he came in much tighter than that. Uh, I, I, I could I could suggest that um, the polling was uh, maybe a point or so more accurate in 20 than in 16, but there is still a systemic problem, um, and, and and Missouri was no exception. Um, I you know I had a, a, a pollster that I know who who knows the state intimately. Um, was involved, has been involved in Missouri for 30 years. And, and I told him, you know, I thought the governor's race might be 47% plus or minus a point and a half. He said, I've got bad news for you. It's, you know, the vote share is going to be 45. And of course it came in a few points below that. And, and so th there is, you know, it's 2020 and, you know, a mythical race between, you know, Santa Claus, the Easter Bunny, the Tooth Fairy, and a pollster who knows what they're talking about, right, would all end in a four-way tie. 
But um, you know, so there's that. That said, um, the, the the more important piece of it for me is you know what next for Democrats. I you know I I believe that we have hit bottom and and that um, things are going to turn uh, in the years ahead for us. But that that doesn't you know that's not a strategy. <laughs> and, and the question is, what do we need to do? And I, I think a lot of people right now um, you know uh, start with looking at what happened in Georgia. Um, you know, with the race that Stacey Abrams ran there in uh, 2018, and the fact that that state now appears to be uh, in the Democratic column in the presidential. And, you know, we're going to see what happens with these two United States Senate runoffs that it looks like we're going to have in Georgia. Uh, but there is no question that while Missouri has been realigning in one direction, Georgia has been realigning in the other. Um, and I, I think that um, just in the in the week or so uh, since uh, uh, election day, I think I'm hearing more and more Missouri Democrats um, talk about Georgia as an example uh, of maybe how we need to approach things going forward. And if you look at turnout differentials in the state, um, you know, the city of St. Louis turnout was 65 percent versus the county 80 percent. Um, that 15 point delta matters. <laughs> um, and, and you saw similar trend lines in, in Kansas City as well. And, you know, here in Missouri, right, wrong or indifferent, and I'm not I'm not putting this on any candidate at all. Uh, but we have we have clearly not done what we have needed to do uh, to maximize that that part of the vote. And, um, you know, because I, you know, whatever that 65 percent turnout in the city of St. Louis was, I can guarantee it included every Trump Parson voter there was to be found in the city. Right. <laughs> Uh, so um, we'll see. But I, I, I think that there's a, a need for some strategic long term party building quite clearly. Um, and and I, I think that there will be many Missouri Democrats looking at, at what, hap- what has happened in Georgia as a, as a potential blueprint. So I want to take this in two directions. I want to talk about the suburbs and then the rural areas. So there was a lot of optimism that Democrats were going to do better in, in places like the 15th Senatorial District, they were very bullish that someone like Deb Lavender was going to be able to turn the traditionally Republican district blue. Um, and also a lot of optimism that Jill Shoup could be Dan Wagner. And I think what ended up happening was that people in that neck of St. Louis County did vote for Joe Biden on higher numbers than Hillary Clinton did, but they also voted for Andrew Koenig in Ann Wagner. And I don't really think it's a mystery why. I think that there are a lot of disaffected Republicans that see Donald Trump's leadership as being erratic and they want to have some sort of normalcy. But that doesn't necessarily mean that they've become Democrats on issues like abortion rights, gun control, taxation and the like. And they're going to gravitate toward people that are more conservative than people like Shoup and Lavender. That's my observation. What's your takeaway about that? Well, and said another way, Biden's coattails in, in areas like the second congressional district and the 15th state Senate district are, are not what they might have been. And there's nothing unique about suburban St. Louis in that regard. That's where we that's what we saw everywhere nationally. I mean, there was a certain percent of the national vote uh, that consisted of Republicans against Trump. Um, and, and, and frankly, that's probably the difference between Biden winning and losing, although um, I have more to say about that in, in, in terms of the economy and why it was, you know, Biden was able to pull this off. But as far as the second and the 15th go, you know, a, cu- a couple of things there. Um, one is just the sheer the sheer turnout dynamic. Um, you know, Jill Shoup got more votes last Tuesday than Ann Wagner got in 2016 in the same seat. 
the win number was 198,000 and change based on the 2016 turnout. Shoop got what 210. Uh, I mean, she exceeded the the win number. Wagner had 30,000 pocket votes. That I mean, these are folks that did not pull the lever for Wagner in in 16, the last presidential cycle in, in that congressional district. 30,000 new, new votes for Wagner uh, that were not there in 16, but were there in 20. Um, and and you know, I, I heard uh, uh, I think. Uh, Missouri uh, Republican Party Executive Director uh, uh, Gene Evans talking um, on on uh, I think your outlet uh, last week and you know, she made the point they you know they they hi obviously hyper targeted Koenig with the idea that as went 15 so went the second and if if Republicans were able to do what they needed to do in the second um, that was you know going to be the most persuadable part of the state and so I think they saw everything as flowing from that and obviously Democrats did too I mean we ran um, in, in my opinion the best campaigner that we have in the state in Deb Lavender. Um, I, I'm always fond of saying uh, two candidates I would never want to have to run against in the field, um, you know, Deb Lavender and, and, and Jim Lemke. You ran against one of the you ran against one of those people and, and narrowly beat them, by the way, and that was Jim Lemke. But continue. But but yeah, and, and that's not to take anything away from Andrew Koenig, frankly, this side of Jim Lemke. He is probably the best campaigner I've seen on the Republican side of the aisle. I mean, what he had to do to win that primary four years ago. Um, you, you know, so you had a you had a barn burner race between two of the very best candidates as, as campaigners um, on, on on the Democrat and Republican side in, in, in Koenig and, and Lavender. Um, but the um, so there was the Republicans managed to find new down ballot votes where they hadn't before. And that's something that the Democrats had precisely the opposite fortune in, whereas Republicans very clearly harvested as much down ballot love as they could. Democrats did not manage to. And there are probably reasons why that happened, including, quite frankly, the impact of COVID on the campaign. I mean, uh, Republicans did not let COVID keep them off the doors. Some Democrats were on the doors, notwithstanding COVID, but an awful lot were not. Um, and so, you know, and that wasn't going to be the difference between winning and losing this year, uh, for the most part. But uh, it, it was certainly part of the story. But a lot of this is what we saw nationwide. Well, let's talk about uh, the other issue that Missouri Democrats have, and that is they're just absolutely miserable performance in rural Missouri. I'm going to play a clip now from Senator-elect Greg Razor. He's a Kansas City Democrat, but he grew up in southeast Missouri. So I think that he has a unique perspective on some of the party's woes with that area. Here's uh, Senator-elect Razor. Look, I think we're on the right side of uh, the issues were on the right side of moving Missouri forward. You can see that at the ballot box when time and time and time again, Missourians vote with us. What we have is a terrible branding problem. Uh, we've got to go out. We've got to talk to Missourians. We've got to make sure that they know that I'm not Nancy Pelosi. Uh, I'm, a, I'm a kid from the Boot Hill who represents Kansas City. Um, we've got to go out and talk to folks, and this is going to be a long fight uh, for us to build ourselves back up. But the fight starts today. So what Senator-elect Razor is clearly talking about is what I heard when I traveled to Northeast Missouri in 2017. And I, I talk about Northeast Missouri a lot. It's, I, I, it's almost like a nervous tick at this point. But that was an area of, of Missouri that was Democratic up until 2010, 2010. And what I've heard over and over again is that voters there see the Democratic Party as the National Democratic Party, even if they run candidates that are more socially conservative, they think the party is too liberal for them, and they're going to vote with a, 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 a party, the Republicans, that are more amenable 
to conservative views. How does how does the Missouri Democrats deal with their decline in rural Missouri? Is it just something they're going to have to deal with? Or is there a ways for them to turn some of these demographical shifts around? I mean, n- not to be flippant, but the historical answer to that question is all you have to do is let Republicans govern for a while and Democrats will be back in vogue. Um, but but to, to underscore your point, and I have uh, ties to Northeast Missouri, myself having uh, done my undergraduate work in, in Kirksville and, and spent quite a lot of time there beyond beyond just that. Um, case in point, the, the first cycle that I that I uh, worked on a campaign uh, was 1994. I, I volunteered for Alan Week that year. Um, I, uh, I I worked on the Hancock II campaign, which was a really big issue in higher ed, um, and during that campaign, and I was in Kirksville, Truman State at the time. Um, I met Joe Maxwell, and and people may remember that 1994 was sort of the Clinton backlash year. Uh, Clinton won in '92, and then in '94 managed to lose Congress in the United States Senate for the first time in you know almost 50 years. Um, it, it was at the time an un, you know basically an unprecedented flip. Um, and on that day in 1994, as Democrats were losing the United States House of Representatives and losing the United States Senate in backlash to Bill Clinton, Joe Maxwell managed to stick the landing in that Northeast Missouri Senate seat. And he actually got elected to an open state Senate seat in Northeast Missouri that day by a pretty handy margin, actually. Um, And, you know, just 25 years later, that is almost unimaginable um, at at this point. Um, And and I I agree with Senator-elect Razor. Um, There's no question that we have a branding problem. Uh, the, The better question is, what do you do about it? And what I would suggest, and where I, again, uh, just in the conversations that I've had with folks uh, uh, in the in the aftermath of this, um, I think the question Democrats are asking themselves right now is, you know, do we keep trying to chip away at it by running uh, to the center? Um, you know, our, our, our 2016 gubernatorial nominee uh, was a former Republican, um, and uh, uh, for instance. Um, or, 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 you know, do we do we nominate the candidate who might have a chance to break off one in twenty Republicans, which is the historic formula for what it takes to win statewide in Missouri, or uh, is it time to now look at the possibility of running candidates who help grow and expand our base? Um, and, and and that's that that that's not taking a shot at anybody that has run; they've done all they can. But um, you know, I I, I don't. I'm not as familiar with what was done on voter registration in 2018. I know there was a ton done on voter registration in 2008, um, but I, I think that um, you, know, you know very possibly Missouri Democrats have not un, not done enough uh, to mobilize you know the folks who might say I'm a Democrat because of Bernie Sanders. I'm a Democrat because of Cory Bush. I'm a Democrat because of Howard Dean, um, and and. Do we maybe need to look at uh, approaching it from that angle right now? Because I I, I don't know that the you know the, the the blood that we've lost in the last couple cycles here. I, I maybe we get it back, um, but I don't I don't know that we can assume that we will. And so we you know we you know, this planet and clearly isn't working now. Three cycles in a row, 16, 18, and 20, seems to me it might be time for a new plan. We'll be right back after this quick break with State Senator Scott Sifton. 
And we're back on Politically Speaking with Senator Scott Sifton. He's a Democrat from Afton who will be leaving the Missouri Senate due to term limits. I want to talk about what I feel is the most significant result of all in 2020, more so than any state legislative, congressional, or statewide race. And that is the passage of Amendment 3, which repealed the clean Missouri state legislative redistricting system. This was, and I'm going to be very candid with, with you and our listeners, I was absolutely shocked that this happened for the rule of thumb in Missouri ballot initiatives is if one side is vastly outspending the other one, the side that's spending the most money is going to win. And that in this case, that was the no side. I don't think there's any question that the reason that this passed was that the appellate judges wrote a ballot summary that was very, very unfavorable to the no side that emphasized meaningless changes to lobbyist gift and campaign donation limits and and created a summary of the redistricting changes that did not really explain the full impact of what was going on. So that that's the reasoning. We, we could talk about the reasoning all, all day long, but let's talk about the impact. My feeling is that this is going to make it very difficult to create state legislative maps that are going to gain Democrats significant ground. Uh, that was precisely why uh, the Republican supermajority in the legislature put it on the ballot in, in, in the first place. Yeah, they, they weren't doing this to help elect Democrats, right? Um, no, I, look, in hindsight, the Clean Amendment should have just outright banned lobbyist gifts, period, end of discussion. And as, as you well know, that's that, that's a position I have pursued for my entire legislative career. I filed a, one at least one bill and sometimes multiple bills every year to try to ban lobbyist gifts in Missouri altogether. And, and so that that piece of Amendment 3, I, I, I supported. Um, uh, the Clean Amendment in 2018 brought it down to the $5 cup of coffee limit, which was a vast improvement in the law. Um, yeah, I'm not. I'm not upset that legislate that lobbyist gifts are now banned for everybody statewide. I, I you know, think that's long past due. Um, uh, but th- there is no question that the redistricting uh, provisions, particularly for the House of Representatives, um, are are going to be bad for the number of majority minority seats that we have in the state. It will result in fewer. Um, uh, African Americans in the legislature, in the House and Senate, I'm, I'm concerned. Uh, but I do believe that it's it, that there's at least some chance a court strikes it down for that reason. This one person, one vote standard, in my view, takes us back to the pre-Brown v. Board of Education era uh, in, in terms of how these lines are drawn and the impact on minority representation. And um, I, I will not be at all surprised if it's at least it, Amendment Three is at least partially invalidated on, on that basis. Well, let's talk about that before I, I address your point about minority majority districts. Uh, what you're referring to is the fact that eligible voter standard, which would only count eligible voters, so not children, for example, would be a possibility under Amendment Three. It is not required. Even the biggest opponents of Amendment Three have not said. It's required. I'm going to play a clip now from House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid about the focus of Democrats trying to make sure it's a total population standard, which would count everybody, as opposed to the eligible voter standard that you just mentioned. That, that's definitely the goal. You know, um, yes, maps are important to us for sure. But my number one goal is making sure that every Missourian who should be counted is counted. Um, and with that being an option not to, um, that's where we're going to be putting our energy. Now, I don't want to become too process-oriented because some of the, the, the no side on Amendment 3 
were, were not super happy I was getting process-oriented with this. But I think this is an important point. What would be the scenario where a commission that's split evenly or appellate judges that are chosen by the nonpartisan court plan would use anything but total population? The answer is that they don't have to and therefore uh, may not if Amendment 3 is upheld. Um, and, you know, the history of this has been that the bipartisan, for, for, first of all, people need to understand that, and I don't know that the ballot language made this terribly clear, the Clean Amendment gave us uh, a, a better anti-gerrymandering uh, process by creating a, a demographer position uh, a, 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 with an effort toward getting sort of a, a neutral cut um, on, on, on these maps, and Amendment 3 got rid of that person. So we're, we're you know, sort of back to the same old, same old. The difference is the standards are different. And I don't think it's unreasonable to be concerned that different standards might result in um, different application. Um, and, and, you know, and I hate to say, we're, we, you know, we may find out pretty fast. <laughs> uh, we're, we're about to redraw these lines. But, uh, you know, the, the history has been that the bipartisan commission, more often than not, will come up with a House map and will almost never come up with a Senate map. Uh, it, 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 the second bipartisan commission uh, this last time around wound up coming up with a Senate map, I think for only the second time in the history of this process, uh, but only by virtue of necessity because the, the court struck down the map, that, the Senate map that the courts had drawn. Um, but, you know, um, not, not to put too fine a point on it, but the last couple redistrictings have not gone terribly well. Um, and and uh, those have been maps drawn by the courts. And I'm not going to um, I'm not going to um, claim that there's been any any dirty pull on that, but the facts speak for themselves. We went from a state that was pretty competitive in 2000 to a state that has been um, overwhelmingly Republican ever since in, in terms of the legislative ranks. Well, I want to get to the point about black political power, because there were a number of black elected officials that did not support Amendment 3. I want to make that clear. But they did not support clean Missouri either, because there's a there is immense distrust between black Democrats, especially in St. Louis, and white Democrats. And I am I have seen the maps that were put forth by Democrats in 2011 and 2012. That trust, distrust is warranted. It's not philosophical to say that Democrats on those commissions have put forth Senate maps that included districts that were less African-American than what they turned out. And, and, I, and, I, and I think that there is a real lack of trust because there has been this tendency for white Democrats to dilute minority majority districts because they see that as a form of gerrymandering that hurts Democrats in the suburbs. I want you to address that point. Yeah, yeah Amendment 3 is going to be a much more powerful diluter of minority representation than anything anybody involved in the redistricting process heretofore has been. I can I can say that pretty definitively, I think, just based just based on the change in standard, it's going to be very antithetical to, to black representation. The other the other point that I'll make is thankfully, um, at least in the Missouri Senate, um, we're we're now approaching uh, the largest Missouri Senate Black Caucus that we've ever seen, um, and and it might be uh, another member strong had a, a particular competitive race in 2018 gone gone differently in, in Buchanan and in Platte County. So, yeah, I'm I'm happy to see that um, we, we have more uh, Black state senators, or at least as many or more uh, as we've ever seen before, and I think that that's a very good thing. Um, I, I I am concerned though that the next Senate map may. Um, may reverse that because going with the sort of the one person, one vote standard, um, I, I think will disproportionately impact 
um, majority minority areas. Uh, and I, I, you know, whatever, whatever the process was in, in, in 2011, um, if Amendment 3 is a standard in 2021, uh, I'm, I'm pretty firmly convinced it's going to be much worse uh, for uh, drawing majority minority districts. Let's keep talking about next steps for the Democrats. Uh, it was very notable to a lot of people that you did not run for any statewide offices this year, um, even though that you had talked about running for governor. And even if you hadn't run for governor, you would have had the experience and infrastructure to run for a down ballot uh, office. And you didn't. And all the down ballot people that ran got crushed by the people that were were, were currently Republicans. Is part of the issue that Democrats have is that the bench is not what it should be to run in competitive statewide races. And how do Democrats improve that? Yeah, I think we have a great bench. And I think that's going to be increasingly clear as time moves on. Just in this radio program, Jason, you played a clip from state senator-elect Greg Razor. You you played a clip from uh, House Minority Leader Crystal Quaid. Um, we've talked about Clay County, the, the area represented by Lauren Arthur in the Missouri Senate. Um, and, 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 you know, we have, um, uh, you know, our assistant Senate uh, leader, uh, Brian Williams, uh, is, is an up and comer. Um, and, and that's just scratching the surface. I mean, I, I could go on. I, I hate to start listing because then you forget people, but um, looking forward to seeing, uh, you know, uh, what we see from State Senator Carla May G- going forward, you have uh, you know Mayor Mayor Lucas in in Kansas City. Um, we'll see what the mayor's race in St. Louis brings. Um, but I think uh, I think the crop of future stars in the Missouri Democratic Party, and I'm just scratching the surface. And if I left anybody, <laughs> I, I know I left a lot of people out in everything I just said. But uh, I think the crop of future stars that we have uh, is going to show what it's capable of in, in coming cycles. And it, it you know, may take us a minute to get from where we are to where we're headed. But I have every confidence that at some point in the coming decade, you, you are going to see a statewide uh, office holding lineup of Democrats that um, includes several of the names I just mentioned. As you know, Nicole Galloway is still state auditor, but if she decides to run for another term, I think it's pretty clear she's going to face a tougher opponent than Sandra McDowell. How confident are you that Auditor Galloway will be able to survive a tougher challenge than she had in 2018? Extremely. Uh, I I just listed off a bunch of future stars. Nicole Galloway is a star that's already arrived. Um, You know, I I mentioned Democrats are one in 15 in the last three cycles in statewide races. The only Democrat that's managed to win statewide in Missouri is Nicole Galloway, and she's a fantastic auditor. I think the people of Missouri know that, um, and uh, I expect that she's going to win decisively in 2022 if she should run for re-election to auditor. I, I say that. I don't speak for her. Uh, you know, Ask her what her plans are, but uh, if she runs for re-election to auditor, I am, uh, I am certain that she will win quite convincingly. What about U.S. Senate? You know, Roy Blunt, or if, if he retires, like a, a, a strong Republican is going to be running for the U.S. Senate. Um, that's not a race where someone can just flippantly decide to run. They need to start thinking about that now and start getting the money and organization in place for that to be competitive. Is there is there anybody you can think of that could could could, you know, raise that banner for Democrats to potentially take that Senate seat back? Uh, yeah, I, I I hear what you're saying about the, the time it takes to run a uh, run that race the right way, um, and, I, and I would just say, nonetheless, we're you know 
eight days out from the 2020 election. I do think it's a little soon to start speculating about that. Um, what I will say is that um, I expect the Democrats are going to be quite intentional uh, in how they approach that race, and I, I think you're you're going to see um, you're going to see our 2022 U.S. Senate candidate um, make a stronger showing than some of what we've seen in, in recent cycles. My final question for you is the perfunctory, what are you going to do next question? You already, you have already said, no, I'm not going to run for the House again. And I'm not really sure you could. I think your House seat. Who, who's your House representative now? Michael Burton. Michael Burton, the guy who started his career talking in the county council, is now a state legislator, proving that it does make a difference going to the county council and, and doing the public forum. It's not just a place for people to spout out conspiracy theories about how Sam Page really lost when he won by 21 percentage points. Um, what do you do? What, what's next for you politically? Is, 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 is this the last we've heard from Scott Sifton? I, I you know, I, 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 the answer to that is I don't know. I, I, I doubt it. Um, I, I, I suspect that I have more to give to this process when the time is right, but that, but that's just it. Um, you know, in this business, you have to be the right person in the right place at the right time for the right reason. And in, in 2012, I felt that I those stars sort of aligned. Um, and, um, you know, I'm, I'm proud of what we've accomplished in the state Senate. Um, I feel like I've left footprints. I feel like I've served the people of the first Senate district well. Um, and, uh, you know, we'll, we'll see what the future brings. My, uh, my, my son is 11 and in sixth grade. My daughter is eight and in third grade. Um, and uh, I, I look forward to continuing to uh, spend as much time uh, as I can uh, with them and, and parenting them um, and uh, practicing law and, uh, uh, you know, helping out some of my friends in, in politics. And uh, we'll see what the future holds. I don't, you know, um, it's, uh, um, I'm just at this point very grateful for all that I've been able to do and to the so very many people who have allowed me to do it. Um, you know, I, you and I talked uh, in the in the heat of the 2012 uh, uh, race, um, and I think nobody that's been that hasn't been through it can r- really um, fully uh, appreciate just how many people it takes to make this work between um, volunteers, staff, donors voters, supporters, people doing what you do for a living, Jason. Um, this process is all encompassing and all intensive. Uh, and I am, um, you know, I'm, I'm exiting the Missouri Senate, um, a stronger believer in, in the wisdom of what Jefferson, uh, Madison, and, and so many others put together uh, than, than when I arrived. Um, we are a well-governed state and a well-governed nation uh, in terms of our process. I, I can certainly grouse with a lot of the decisions that have been passed into law along the way during my time in the Senate, but we've done a lot of good things too. Um, and uh, you know, we have a great process. There's a reason it survived for more than two centuries. It's a much better process today than it was in the beginning. Um, and uh, it's just been an honor and a pleasure to be able to uh, fight to make a difference uh, the 10 years that I've spent in Jefferson City. Well, it's been an honor and pleasure to talk with you the six times you've been on the show. I do not doubt that you will be on a seventh time. But for all of our stories, stlpublicradio.org. Follow me on Twitter at Jay Rosenbaum. How can people follow you on Twitter or any other parts of the World Wide Web? At Scott Sifton. Okay, so here's the big question. I, I said on the outset that you are a fan of the seminal progressive metal group tool. 
what would be what is the outro song that you want me to play you out to uh so uh uh, the the, uh, the the song on the Senate floor was eulogy, uh, and uh, uh, you know it's it, it's not exactly a perfect fit, but uh, um, there's a there's a part of that that I think uh, speaks to uh, where I find myself these days. Uh, until next time, so long. Mm-hmm.